Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking to someone who ended her 25-year toxic marriage to a controlling husband, and we're also going to be hearing about how she gradually regained her independence through her love of hiking. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. So before we get started, I wanted to remind you of a new fun thing with the Women in the Middle podcast. It's called the Podcast Club, and you are invited to join. The Podcast Club is basically a book club experience for the podcast. We're going to be going deeper into the podcast conversation started in a recent episode. This is a super easy club for you to be a member of. You get a Zoom call with me once a month, an easy-to-use podcast go-deeper guide, with thought-provoking questions to help you apply what you're learning on the podcast to your own life, and also some fun surprises along the way, including prizes. And you'll also be able to chat with me directly and share your thoughts with other like-minded women because we're all on the call together. So don't waste another minute. It's shockingly affordable. So check it out and sign up at www.susierosenstein.com and click on the Podcast Club button. And I can't wait to see you in my Zoom square. Okay, so as a midlife coach, I coach a lot of amazing women. And because of this podcast, I interview a lot of amazing women. I love it. So when I got my guest's email about being on the podcast, I knew I had to have her on because her story is so compelling and important to share. Now, before I introduce you to my guest, I want to mention a trigger warning for this episode. A portion of this podcast episode concerns references to child sexual abuse and domestic violence. If you're a listener who may be particularly sensitive to this content, please take note. This episode may or may not be what you want to choose to listen to right now. Now, let me introduce you to my special guest today. Her name is Linda Magoon. Now, let me introduce you to my special guest today. Her name is Linda Magoon, and she has been through a lot. She's the author of Live Free and Hike, Finding Grace on 48 Summits, A Journey of Healing and Self-Discovery Atop New Hampshire's White Mountains. Linda changed her life after ending her 25-year toxic marriage to a controlling husband. She gradually regained her independence and rediscovered her love of hiking in the White Mountains. Linda set a goal to climb all 48 of New Hampshire's 4,000-foot and higher peaks. With every upward stride, she cautiously rebuilt her life. But less than a year later, she had another huge and shocking setback. Linda found herself in a downward spiral as she processed the guilt, shame, and sadness of being married to somebody who was so infamous. By climbing each challenging summit, she found the internal strength needed to overcome the uncertainty surrounding the worst period of her life. Neither age, lack of experience, nor unforeseen life events would stop her, though, from attempting her goal. 
Without further ado, I'm thrilled to welcome Linda Magoon to the podcast. You are going to be quite inspired by this interview. Hi, Linda. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Thanks for having me, Susie. So glad you're here. We're both in the East Coast. You're in New Hampshire, which is so, uh, it just seems so beautiful. I have to say it's a state that I haven't really hung out in. I hung out a lot in Cape Cod and Massachusetts and Maine, but not really in between there. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, I think New Hampshire has it all. We're a few hours from the ocean, a few hours from the mountains, a few hours from the lakes, uh, all within a half day's drive. So it's beautiful here and I, I love it. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Well, I'll certainly put it on my list because in my heart of hearts, I am an East Coast girl. I'm originally from the Philadelphia area, even though I'm in Toronto now. But um, it's raining here, so hopefully the rain won't mess with our fun at all. And we'll just get going on a really interesting interview. I have to say, when your uh, request came in to be on the podcast, I I, I was like, whoa, I have to talk to her. Oh, yes, definitely in a good way. So um, you've been through a lot and you've written a book and we're going to be talking all about that. But let's get started with talking a little bit about what was going on in your 40s before you made your change in your big change in your mid 50s. So tell us a little bit about what that was like. Sure. So uh, in my 40s, uh, I was married and had been married for a, a number of years. Uh, we ha- had a family. And I think in my 40s, uh, my relationship was not what you would say was typical or, or healthy. I was married to a husband who had a very short fuse. Uh, he was angry. He was controlling. And when I was in my forties, I think I was in a mode of, of surviving versus thriving, mm-hmm. right? Uh, walking on eggshells doing my part not to uh, make him mad uh, because that had consequences. So by I was in my 40s. I think I was uh, stuck in this relationship that was so uh, unhealthy and abnormal that I forgot what a healthy relationship looked like. I mean, we didn't have uh, friends that we did things with, uh, very few because he was very jealous and insecure. And if we if we went somewhere and I, somebody struck up a conversation with me who, who was a man, uh, sometimes he, would, he wouldn't talk to me for a few days. Uh, very, uh, very, like I said, very jealous and insecure. So when I was in my 40s, I was in this place that was so, that was so out of, out of sync that I didn't even know it. It, it was just, uh, surviving, get up, go to work, you know, take care of the family, come home and and do what I had to do. There was no dreaming and, you know, living the life that you desire and, uh, you know, any of that. It was, uh, yeah. so it was, it was very, but you know, at the time you you do what you have to do. Did it feel like you had any options back then? You know, I never told a soul about it. So, you know, but I, came from a family that, you know, my, my grandmother was the type that said, you made your bed, now you lie in it. It, it, You know, these were very old, uh, you know, old values and, and marriage was till death do you part. I mean, I had threatened divorce a few times. I mean, it, it takes the average woman who's been abused 
seven times before she leaves for good. And so, uh, you know, I, to everyone else, things were fine. And maybe my mom suspected something when, when, uh, you know, she would invite me somewhere and I was like, no, I can't go. Um, so to answer your question, I, I'm not sure if I, you know, when you're in this bad situation, you, you, you don't stop and think about it. You're just thinking about today. You know, yeah. how do I, how do I get through, you know, I'm, I'm paying the bills, you know, what bills need to be paid today? What needs to be done today? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I just, I know it was a very, very difficult time in your life. So you got through it, but you weren't thriving. You weren't having fun. That's for sure. And that's what the funny thing is about dreaming is it's so, um, I don't know. We just all use the word. It's kind of cliche. You just hear it talked about, but you don't take it seriously. It just seems ridiculous. You're probably thinking if you even knew that you could dream, it was just so out of reach. Yeah, there was, there was no, I, I the word want was not in my vocabulary right. when I was married. I could never come to him and say, I want this. Uh, yeah, that was wow. just, yeah, it was not an option. Or, or okay. if I did want something, if I didn't want to go away for the weekend with, with the girls, I would have to find a opportunity, uh, to present that. Mm. Uh, maybe he was in a good mood or I would go to his place of employment and talk to him there. And that way there, uh, he was in front of people. He couldn't blow up. He couldn't, he couldn't react. And so that's what I did. You, you know, you thought of these strategies to, uh, work around this and you, you do it for so long that you stop thinking that, wait a minute, this isn't right. But, but that's, that's, that's your life. That's what you're living. Hmm. I'm so sorry. Very, very difficult times. Mm. Um, yet you persevered and then you rolled into your fifties. So what happened for you that you were able to take a step forward? Right. So, uh, we, we were empty nesters at this point and, uh, I was still, you know, was still living in the same, same location in the same house. I'm in the same, same job. It's, it's get up, rinse, repeat, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's no vision boards. There's nothing to really, you know, look forward to. Right. Uh, you know, it's not all bad times. You certainly have some vacations and some good times, but it's like I said, it's not, it's not how uh, a healthy person in a relationship lives. And so it, in my mid fifties, we had this, uh, little, uh, dog, this little cocker spaniel and she, she was getting old now. She was like 13 or 14 years old and, uh, she had to go out more and more frequently and, that was on me to take her out. So it was one, one Friday night. Uh, I was just exhausted from the work week and it was in the middle of the night and I could hear our little dog stirring to go out. And in my, in my, uh, semi-conscious stupor, I asked my husband if he would mind taking her out. And the response that I got, the, the vulgar, angry, uh, just, screaming it was at that point that i knew it's like wait a minute 
I'm not doing anything wrong here. This isn't, this isn't my fault. You know, I asked him one, one, one time to take this dog out and this is what I get. So it was at that, during that exchange when, when I said, you know, this is it. I've had it. I, I want a divorce. And I've said that before, but this time I was determined to make good on it. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And. What do you think the reason was that, that 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 incident tipped it? Yeah, I think it had to do with the the such uh, such a strong reaction from him, and I couldn't. There was no excuse for it anymore. You know, I understand that he was under a lot of stress, uh, and he was for reasons that I wouldn't know until years later. But he was also under a lot of stress because he was trying to put his mom in a nursing home and, and that's a process. And so I get that. But that was, that's still no excuse for, for this, for this vile, uh, response to, to a simple request. Uh, even I, even I knew at that point, it's like, wait a minute, this is, I, this isn't my fault. You know, this isn't, I haven't done anything wrong. Uh, and, and, and why am I staying? There was no reason for me to stay anymore. So mm. yeah, that was but the you, tipping point. It's for people. I mean, it, I, I'm a slow learner. It, it took <laughs> 25 years, but I finally figured it out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. So once I told him that I, uh, where I work, we have like a, a employee assistance program. It's kind of like crisis counselors sort mm-hmm. of kind of, but I had to wait a week to see her. Mm. So I, I made an appointment and. Uh, she referred me to a therapist and, you know, this was all on the QT. My, my husband had no idea. So, so once I started seeing the therapist, like on the second visit, I was like, I, I'm done. I, I need to get out. And so that's what we worked on. And six months later, I was divorced. So once I made that decision, that once I made that decision to, to, to pivot and to change my life, things happened very quickly. I, I, I felt like the, I had started to roll the ball. It took a lot of inertia to get the ball rolling, but once I did, uh, it, things, things happened very quickly. Hmm. Yeah. So in your notes, I'm just looking at, um, when I asked some questions in the pre notes and, and you said, even I knew that I didn't deserve to be treated this badly. And when you described it, you said that I finally recognized that I'd been in a toxic, some would call it abusive relationship for years. So that all became very clear to you in that moment. It's so fascinating. And um, I just wanted to ask one question. Had you ever told some of your girlfriends or work friends that you were considering divorce? No. Wow. No, no. That crisis counselor, and, and she was so important. Everybody in this process was just so vital. Yes. Uh, to this, to the, to my, to the, this new life that I've created for myself. Uh, she was the first person I told. And so I, I know a lot of your listeners and your clients are, are, are thinking, well, why didn't she leave sooner? And that, that is a question that, that gets asked a lot in domestic violence situations. In my situation, my husband was never physical with me, maybe once or twice. Maybe he would, you know, he, few times he would throw his fist back and threaten, but it wasn't, it wasn't physical with us because I think we both knew that that would cross a line. And so he, 
maybe, you know, he didn't have to be physical with us. So why did I stay as long as I did? Uh, for a few reasons. One is, again, you know, I think it was the values that my uh, parents and grandparents had. Yeah. It was till death do you part, you know, you, you made your vows, you know, work it out, that type of thing. Second reason was, uh, you know, the, the, the family, you know, uh, what would, and also what would people think? What would the neighbors think? What would, what would our family think? Uh, what would my coworkers think? That was all of that noise. And the th- third reason why I stayed was that I sort of was inching my way towards divorce. But I, I remember one time I, I went to the courthouse to pick up the divorce paperwork and a stack of papers were that thick. And I was like, I can't do this. This is just too overwhelming. It was. It's too overwhelming. If you're if you're in a a situation that's so unhealthy, uh, you know, trying to file for divorce, you don't have the bandwidth for that. You know, the, you know, you don't have the money for an attorney. So you just you just stay. Sometimes the, there's a saying, "The devil you know," right? Yeah. And so a, a lot of people stay for that reason. I think I want to emphasize to your listeners that chances are that there's somebody in their in their circle of friends. That's if they're not being abused, they're, they're not, they're in the same situation I was. Things aren't that great. And, um, you know, it's important for you to, to, to recognize those signs. Like for me, um, you know, there was no, I had to be home, you know, right at, right after work. There was no, you know, going out after work or, you know, if I was late, you know, I had to account for that. So that's, you know, signs like that, it, you know, if your friends are like, no, I got to get home or, or if, if, if their uh, spouse or partner is always checking on them, always calling on them, you know, under the guise of being, you know, uh, you know, supportive or, you know, those are all, those are all signs. Those are all signs that something's wrong. Um, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that there's a, there's an issue there and ask, you know. I'm just uh, a couple of things are really coming through so clearly, like the amount of courage it took for you to trust yourself in that moment with the dog um, was unbelievable. It, yeah, I don't it was know if it so was courageous. Trust, uh, yeah, I think I was just in a, I was just like half asleep. It wasn't like <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to build up the courage to ask. I was just, I was just so zonked from, from the work week. I was, I just could not get up and do it because I have been, I had been all week. It was like, it was worse than taking care of a kid. I had like two hours of sleep each night. I just couldn't do it anymore. And so, you know, that little dog uh, was really the, the, as you say, the tipping point. And I think there's a tipping point for, for a lot of folks, but, uh, and, you know, mine just happened to come in uh, when I was about in my, in my mid fifties. Yeah. Well, uh, it took a lot of courage. And, and then the other thing that happened for you is when, when you did take a step, and you were able to lean on your EAP, you got incredible support. I mean, you did have to wait, but right. wow. I mean, that, you know, not everybody is so satisfied and you got the help you actually needed. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, we, you know, it was fate or coincidence or whatever that I got the right, the right counselor at the right time. And she asked all the right questions. And that was, uh, she was concerned for my safety, for my personal safety. Uh, we created a safety plan, what that would look like, uh, you know, who could I call? Uh, so, so we, we had that planned out. And then she also gave me the name and uh, telephone number of a, of a therapist. 
And that, that worked out very well too, because we connected right away. And, you know, we, I, I think we had a pretty, I think we still do we have a pretty good relationship. And, you know, like I said, I, within six, I had filed, I filed for divorce. Oh, maybe let's see, like three months after that incident moved out like a month later. And then in six months, uh, the divorce was final. So seems like nice. I said, things, it seems quick. Yeah. So with, yeah, with her help, like I said, it, it took a while for me to, to, to get there. To, but, but once I started putting things in motion, uh, for me, I knew there was no going back. And, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't even try to fight. He didn't say, gee, I'm sorry. Please come back. You know, let's go to marriage counseling. He was just, he was just like, okay. So then I was like, fine. I'm, I'm out. Done. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, Linda. All right. Yeah. So you get divorced. And you have a book now. So what happened in between? Where did you get this idea to start hiking higher and higher and uh, really pushing your life in that uniquely yours, um, that direction that was uniquely yours? Right, right. So my divorce became final in the summer. And I was, uh, it reminded me of, of just getting out of college when, you know, the world is your oyster. You, yes. you, you can do what... It, you know, it was so liberating. I could, I could go out. I could stay out as late as I wanted. I made new friends. I started doing new things. And it was just like, you know, every day it was, it was just amazing. I mean, I just couldn't believe how happy I was and how unhappy I was looking back and not, you know, you don't even realize it, you right. know, how, how unhappy you are when you're in this situation. So during this time, I, I rediscovered my love for hiking because it was something I had never done while, while being married. It was something I gave up, right? You kind of lose your soul a little bit when you're in this type of relationship because you've, all you're trying to do is, is just, like I said, survive. And so you give up things that you enjoy. Now, how did you, it, how did you remember though, that you liked hiking? Cause honestly, I, this seems like such an obvious question, but with my clients, so many of them say to me, but I just don't know what my passion is. Oh, and yes. I have an exercise, right? It seems like, mm. of course, we should know what makes us happy, but for, for a variety of reasons, we don't. And for you, you were very disconnected and you were really rediscovering yourself, but rediscovering ourselves in midlife is a common theme. Fortunately, not everybody situation is as stressful and intense as, uh, and painful as yours was, but it's very, it could be very painful and frustrating to be stuck. So an exercise that I, take my clients through is called the happy highlights from your book of life. And we specifically go on a, on an ex exploration through the different chapters of our lives to look for little moments of joy. And I believe so strongly that what made you happy, even as a kid, there's a, a reason it made you happy. And maybe that's the thing or something related to that thing something that's inspired by that thing, it's highly likely to make you happy again. So I can't wait to hear what you were doing in your younger years that had to do with hiking. Where were yeah, you Yeah, easy to? question. Easy question, Susie, because I grew up in a very rural part of Massachusetts. And so playing outdoors for hours uh, was, was a thing back then. Uh, I enjoyed uh, following my dad around in the woods. Uh, we would look for mushrooms together and, and he was a, uh, avid outdoorsman himself. He liked to fish and hunt. And so I, I followed in his footsteps. 
in that regard. And also my uh, position, my my job at the time was an outdoor job where I got to go out in the field quite a bit. But I, but you know, you don't, you can't really go off a hike, so, uh, you know, when you're out in the, when you're, when you're on the payroll. So, uh, I knew this was something that I, 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 I re- literally rediscovered it. And, uh, I climbed up this one mountain in August. It was, it's called Mount Musalak. And I did it by myself and it was eight miles, four miles up, four miles down. And I felt such a feeling of accomplishment when I came back down. I'd never hiked that long or that far before. It was fine. I didn't die and get hurt. And I was just, it was just, um, you know, I was just ecstatic between rediscovering something I loved. And I think just the, the healing power of nature, just being outdoors, accomplishing a goal, all of those things were just, uh, it was a feeling that I wanted to, to bottle and, and, and recapture that again and again. So what I ended up doing is when I was thumbing through my guidebook after my hike, I was trying to relive the experience. I discovered that there's a list in New Hampshire of uh, 48 uh, peaks that are 4,000 feet and higher. And much like hiking the uh, Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail, these this is a thing and people actually do this. And once you do, you get a little patch and a little certificate from the Appalachian Mountain Club. And it, it's a thing. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to try this. And and so that's that's part of my book. It's called Live Free and Hike, Finding Grace on 48 Summits. And it's a it's a book about hiking. But it, as you know, it's a book about other things as well. So that's, I, how, that's how I found my passion. I, I, I knew I, I liked I liked the outdoors anyway, so it was very easy for me. Well, it was easy for you, but here's the thing. I like being outside. Doesn't sound like something that's going to inspire uh, a whole new direction, passion, happiness, book, uh, hobby, activity. Like, it's so easy to overlook what really makes us happy. As you told the story, it's so obvious that that connection with your dad, that thinking about the memories and what you did outside, and even just the way women our age, people our age used to play outside, and that you grew up in the woods and the, the mushroom picking and hunting and all of it. Like, it makes so much sense that you need that more in your life. And this is exactly what happens with other women, that when you kind of sanction, let's go looking, let's go looking in the past for things that have made you happy. And then let's look for patterns and let's ask ourselves why, why was that something like I used to make mud pies when I was eight or nine that showed up on this little exercise for me. And I'm like mud pies. It's not that I want to go make mud pies, but I liked something about that. I liked working with my hands. And then what do you know? I have done several things like that where I've been working with my hands or doing something like that. So again, it's just to get insight into what really makes you happy, which seems so obvious. So you spent 25 years not doing any of this sort of thing? Uh, right. Essentially, yes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy now that you're on the other side of embracing it? Right. I mean, I mean, I, I, I did have my moments when I went on trips with my girlfriends, but it came as, it came as a, as a price. You know, there was, it, 
I had to be strategic about it. I, I had to put it on the calendar. I had to tell him at work so he wouldn't, he wouldn't, you know, it was, it was so hard to, to do something. But for me, the, 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 another pivot was, was meeting a life coach like yourself, somebody who said, you can have anything you want. You know, thoughts become things. You're, you know, if, if you can, you know, think about what you want. Not, not the how, but what the, what the want is. That's and right. for me, you know, I wasn't even divorced. I was divorced six months. That was such a mind blowing concept. I, I, I just ne- never heard of it before. And so it was at this workshop. It was a little six week workshop. And, and that was for the first time I shared with my class that I was hiking the 48, 4,000 footers and I had wanted to write a book about it. I wanted to write a book about hiking and how like some, you know, I'm in my mid fifties. I don't, I know very little about, uh, hiking the higher summits and, and, but I learn as I go and I kind of stumble and fumble and bumble my way up from summit to summit, getting a little bit smarter each with each hike and, you know, building my confidence and building some character and, and, you know, you know, each hike tries to build on the one uh, that's previous. So that, yeah, so the, you know, it was for me, it was just, um, it was almost, I almost had an out of body experience when, when, when there was this, uh, the concept that the universe will deliver. You just have to put, put that thought out there. It was just like, what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> where, where, you know, the other thing that gets in our way and you just touched on it very, very briefly, but I want to highlight it is that identifying what it is you want is very different than identifying how it is you're going to get there. Absolutely. And what we do as overachieving women is we go too quickly into the how and it's completely squishes our dreams because we don't have the answers yet. And it's when you're trying to figure out, well, how am I going to write a book or how am I going to go on 48 of these uh, summit to summit hikes and learn stuff that I don't know and deal with all the things? It's very easy to say it's too hard. It's too scary. I don't know if I can do it. And then those kind of thoughts without checking them and being aware of them can squish that dream. But allowing that dream to become foundational and learning how to trust yourself that you'll figure it out, which clearly you did figure it out. And you even said, you don't even know all the things when you start it, but you keep doing and you build up the confidence and whatever. That was really key. So not only did you really appreciate that you can dream stuff and you can create stuff and and you can really live that life. But you also figured out how to allow that dream long enough to be foundational so that you could build the trust and confidence. A huge skill. Yeah, it, it, it is. It was a, it was a good, it was a good dream to have because it was something that I, it was out of reach, but not too far out of reach. You know, I knew I was healthy enough to, to try to do this. And, you know, I, I, took workshops and educated myself and read a lot of books and, and, you know, joined the hiking club and, and just tried to uh, learn as much as I could. And, you know, having a goal or having a, a, a dream or a goal, uh, you know, it gets you up in the morning. You know, it's like I had this giant map on my wall of all the white mountains and I would put a little push pin in it uh, whenever, whenever I uh, climbed a summit and having that, that reference every day, that, that vision board. I didn't know it was a vision board. Yeah, that's totally. exactly what it was. Uh, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but 
that all of that uh, really was was beneficial to to getting to this point where I where I finished the summits and I and I finished the book. Uh, the, the the book takes a turn where uh, a very unexpected turn. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that. I do, but hang on one second. Okay. I can't help but notice something you said that it's kind of funny. You said the goal was out of reach, but not too far out of reach. And that's hysterical because these are 4,000 foot summits. I mean, if something's not far out of reach at 4,000 feet, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, one, that just made yeah. me laugh. Well, one um, step at a time, right? I mean, I mean, literally it can be overwhelming. If you look at oh, my 48 peaks, are you kidding me? But, uh, you know, if you just, if literally one step at a time. Yeah. And just the other thing you said is that the goal gets you up in the morning. And, uh, one of the things that's come up many times in, um, in this podcast is the importance of not just focusing on the goal, but also focusing on acquiring the skill with as much happiness and joy as possible. Because literally you spent way more time hiking the 48 summits than you did achieving the final goal of having them all completed. That moment of appreciation at the final goal was much less than however long it took you. How long did it take you to hike that many? It took almost four years. Wow. But the goal is what steered your efforts. And amazing. And I also love that you just mentioned that it was a vision board. It was absolutely a vision board. I know today, sometimes people will track, um, things like where they've been in the world and whatever uh digitally, but we grew up using push pins. And I love that you did that. You, did you frame it as well? Did you have it framed? I didn't map? have it framed. I had it I had it mounted on a poster board. Perfect. And yeah. So I had that on my wall. Uh I, I used the map so I had to take it down off my wall. Uh it's full of holes though, but yeah, I, I still use that map. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, tell me what happened. I want to know about the experience of reaching that goal. Tell me what that was like when you're up there. I've never done anything like this. So I, uh, I'm really going off your description. What was it yeah. like for you? So you mean to finish the 48? Yeah. When you were up there. The... Oh, uh, yeah, it was, it, uh, you know, I don't want to give it away, but, uh, it, you know, it, it was amazing. It really was, uh, my, uh, Niece and her husband uh, finished the the hikes with me because we did an overnight backpacking adventure. So it was special to to have to celebrate that with them. Nice. And, uh, my sister, her her mom, and her husband were in the parking lot waiting for us when we came down uh, with a bottle of champagne. Uh, some people bring the champagne to the top, but I was not I was not going to carry that uh, away. <laughs> I wanted it cold <laughs> when I when I reached the bar when I reached the parking lot. Did you uh, feel proud of yourself? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh. I mean, I, I yeah. I mean, that was it was huge. Like I said, it took four years. To, it took four years to accomplish. I hiked in the winter. I hiked in the spring. I hiked in the fall. Uh, you know, I worked full time, so I had to juggle all of all of these things. Uh, and so, yeah, it was it was it was it would have been very easy to quit. A, a lot of people start it. Not too many people finish it. Uh, the people who finish it are, uh, do you guys have a little Facebook group or something? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups out there for the, for the 48, 4,000. Really? Oh, you know? yeah. 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 See, this <laughs> is the other thing that's interesting to me is you lived in New Hampshire. How long have you lived in New Hampshire? Uh, almost my whole life that, which makes me almost a native. Yeah. Wow. And you didn't know about this little subculture going no, on. No, no. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
That is such a great reminder that when you have, when you're looking at your world, your life with the lens of opportunity, you're going to find stuff. But when oh, you're not it? looking that way, yeah. this was right yeah. under your nose. You're an outdoor girl. You've lived there your whole life. And this is a huge thing that you didn't even know existed right there wow. in your state. No, I mean, I think there's a Facebook group for everything now. So, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're in that, if you're still exploring, there's meetup, there's Facebook groups. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about uh, what happened. So I, this was less than a year after we were divorced. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I had, I was renting my own place and just, just really at the top of, you know, I just never was happier. Uh, just, you know, doing new things and I'm hiking these mountains. And I had just finished hiking a, a very, one of the most scenic trails uh, in New England, uh, the Franconia Ridge Trail. It's a, it's like a nine mile loop. I had just finished that. And uh, a few days later, I, I received a phone, phone message at 5.30 in the morning from a, a friend of mine who said, I'm so sorry to hear about your ex-husband. Let me know what I can do. So I didn't know what he was talking about. And I didn't know if he had been in an accident or if he had been killed or, or what had happened. So I, I, I pulled up the local news station, uh, the news reports on my phone to find out what he was talking about. And I found out that he had been arrested the previous day for child molestation. Oh my. Yeah. Yep. And so the, the, you know, it's in the book. And so the, the process, uh, the, the criminal trial process and, and my emotional process, you know, obviously things, things take a, 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 a wicked turn, uh, at that point. Yeah. Oh, I, okay. It's yeah. not good on a podcast to be speechless. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, I was speechless too, uh, because he was, you know, the, the, I don't want to say pillar of the community, but no one, no one ever expected this. You know, he may have been a, a jerk to me, you know, he, uh, and he could have been friendly to everybody else, but no one, no one expected this, this behavior. And I, like everyone else, was in shock and in denial. It's just like, this has got to be some sort of mistake. Uh, this, this can't be. And usually with cases like these, there's, there's usually more than one victim, right? And so it was played in the media quite a bit in the hopes, I think, that more victims would come forward. And that's exactly what happened. So eventually, you know, if one person comes forward, maybe it's, you know, you have your doubts, but when multiple victims start coming forward, then you know that there's got to be something to this. And so the, the book spends some time on the uh, criminal process that plays out over three years and my emotional process that plays out over three years because, you know, there's support groups for domestic violence survivors, there's support groups for sexual abuse survivors, there's no support group for a family member of a perpetrator. And so here I was again trying to navigate something all by myself. Um but, you know, thank goodness I was in, still engaged with my therapist at that time. Oh, and also nice. I became reengaged with my with my life coach, too. Uh, and that, you know, that was very difficult because that was very public. And, you know, a, a 
huge setback for me was that this was in the media so much. I I had no idea when a story was going to break. None, none. Uh, you know, I was I wasn't part of the criminal justice process. I I wasn't a witness. I wasn't asked to be a witness. Uh, I was just kind of on the outs. I was kind of on the outside, and so I had no voice. And so I never knew anything until it, until it broke in the paper. And if I didn't see it, uh, I I missed I missed a, a I missed a story. Uh, wow. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was not a great time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so Linda, that is, that is just so much. And, um, thank you so much for sharing it. I honestly cannot believe what that was like for you. If you could just remind me, what was the amount of time? What was the timeline between you experiencing extreme joy and satisfaction and self pride for your accomplishment? And when you found out about this? Right. So it was less than a, a year after our divorce that, that he was charged. And I, like I said, it was that, that time when, when I thought I was at my happiest, I was do, trying new things. I was, I was making new friends. Uh, every day was a, was a little bit of an adventure. I was on my own. You, I could make what I wanted for dinner, which sounds crazy, but, but now, you know, I, I could, Maybe not even have dinner. Maybe I could have dinner out. It was like this uh, freedom that was just, um, you know, almost indescribable. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's, yeah. So it happened less than a year after, after our divorce. And I get a lot of questions as to, was I married at the time that he was doing this? And the answer is yes. Yes. And I think that's, I think his behavior went back like maybe four years, maybe three or four years prior to the divorce. Uh, and so in retrospect, you know, the, I looked for, I spent a lot of time looking for clues. What did I miss? You know, all, all of his criminal activity uh, happened where he was working. So it wasn't, so none of this happened at home, hmm. but I still looked for clues. I, I still was like, what, what, what did I miss? Um, and it took a long time for me to accept that, that I didn't miss anything. Child molesters are, are, are extremely good at hiding their activity. They prey on, uh, children's trust. They're, they're predators and he left no clues. N- not for me at home. I, 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 I had no idea. Wow. And I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about that. Oh, I bet. So in the end, then the hiking was therapeutic and healing for you, not just about your divorce, but also about reconciling who right. this man was. Right. So, you know, he was, he was charged and he was immediately put in, put in jail. And I had to figure out what, what do I do or what could I do? You know, we still, we still owned a house together. Uh, you know, what happens to that? Uh, you know, my, my happy trails came to an abrupt end for sure. Uh, you know, I, I became very depressed. It was very hard to function at work. It was very hard to concentrate. Uh, I, I don't think I slept that whole week uh, after he had been uh, arrested. I didn't know anything. It was very hard to get information because 
I'm I'm the ex-wife. I'm the I'm the outlaw now. I'm, I'm yeah. not even in law. I'm an outlaw. And it was very hard to get information. Mm-hmm. I wanted very much to talk to him so I could learn what happened because in those early stages, I, I'm still thinking that this is this is wrong. This is there's some sort of mistake here. That this is not this can't be. And much like the stages of grief, that's that's those are the stages that I went through as this criminal process played out over over three years. And during those three years, when all of this was going on, I kept hiking because I needed something to to latch on to. I needed a reason to get up in the morning besides yeah. go to work yeah. or or clean out the house so I could sell it. I needed I needed something to to focus my energy on. And that's, and that's what these summits did. Because when, when you're hiking and, and, and it's 12 miles, you're, you're thinking about things during the first few miles. But then when you're coming down the mountain, all you're thinking about is not slipping and falling and, uh, not, you know, not getting hurt and not getting, you know, my knee's going to be sore. So it, over time, it's very cathartic over, over a particular hike. And so I had these 48 peaks to sort of latch on to keep me going. And that's why it took uh, the criminal process three years to play itself out. And it took me four years. And coincidentally, I finished the 48 just a few days after his final appeal was heard. So they almost like bookended together. It was, it was, it was really strange. Well, that is strange. And yeah. it probably makes it easier for you to turn that page on that chapter mm-hmm. um, with that kind of concrete yeah. closure on yeah. his stuff. It doesn't yeah. mean that you're completely, <laughs> I don't know, how are you doing in terms of your own resolution of him being in jail? Right. So that uh, that's, a, that's a process. I have come to uh, accept that he's essentially serving a life sentence now. And so he'll probably, I, I don't know if he'll ever get out of prison. I, I don't think so. Uh, people ask if I have contact with him, and I do not, because it just doesn't serve me. Uh, but I, I think he's where he is uh, to keep the community safe. Uh, he can't be around children anymore. I spent a lot of time asking myself why he would do this. Um, and I just... I just don't know if I'll ever know the reason. Mm-hmm. So, wow. yeah. Well, so now that you have your book, when was it published? It was published in June. So not too, not too long ago. June, 2023. Right. And so now you're a published author. So you must be learning a little bit about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning a lot from you. <laughs> I love your website. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you. yeah, it's, it's available on Amazon. Uh, we're all, and, uh, we're all books are sold, of course, and on, on my website at lindamagoon.com. So yes, the, the, the challenge is, is now that it's been published, uh, is to get out and start talking about it and start creating some, some buzz about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning as I go. Oh, I, I, that's your strategy. And that's an amazing one. So again, the book is called Live Free and Hike, Finding Grace on 48 Summits. And I, I I love that title and I I love you. I think you're terrific. Oh, you. You've been through so much and you've come out stronger and happier. And I love one of the things in in these pre-notes I always ask my guests 
Um, what are the main lessons that you learned from the whole experience as you transitioned forward? And one of the things you said was progress is not always linear. Sometimes we have setbacks. So mm-hmm. when we, as we close the interview, could you comment on that a little bit? Because it's just, it, it, it's so accurate, I think. Sure. So my um, emotional progress throughout this worst time of my life, you know, you think, you think, you know, that you're, you're going to get better and stronger each day. And then for me, a story would break in the newspaper or someone would come up to me and say, Hey, you know, I don't know if you read this story, but blah, blah, blah. And I would just, I would just regress. I would, I would, I would just go back to, to the tremendous sadness. You know, I, I was, I was never, people said, Oh, weren't you angry? Not really. I was, I was just very sad, just very sad. And so just when you think you're getting better, um, you know, something would happen and it would be a test of your resilience and your resolve. And it's okay. It's okay to go backwards. It's not, it's not a, you know, it's part of the healing process. I think it's, 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 it's your ability to keep going, to bounce back one step at a time. Sometimes days were so overwhelming. I would break it down hour by hour. Like, okay, today I'm just going to put my feet on the floor. Now yeah. I'm going to get dressed. And that's how, you know, I got through the day. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't that's, have to be linear. Yeah. 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 That's, that's reality. That yeah. is reality. And the other thing you point out is that emotionally you learn to ask for help. Healthy people ask for help. Right. I was so glad that you, um, mentioned that because as you tell your story, I mean, I know when you're in the situation you were in, it can be very hard to ask for help because you don't really have the perspective, the accurate perspective or the belief that you deserve better, you know, as you told your story. Um, but yeah, you didn't ask for help and you didn't talk to people during that very long phase. And then once you did, it's so striking how quickly you received help. You were offered help, you received help, and you dove into the help. So healthy people ask for help. But what about people who aren't healthy? You know? Right, right, right. I think again, I think you know, we talked earlier about some of the signs that that someone may be in a unhealthy and abusive relationship, and I think you need to to have that antenna and look for those and maybe ask questions. You know, like, you know, why why is your partner calling you five times a day at work? You know, to make sure you're there. You know, why are they, you know, calling you or wanting you to be home right away? Uh, and you can't and you can't deviate from that. Um, Sometimes you have to reach out and, and ask, ask someone, are, are they okay? Are you okay? Yeah. That, that's that's I, great advice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Linda, you've been through so much. I was wondering if there was an organization or a website or something that you could share that you found really helpful. Sure. So as I mentioned previously, I was never, uh, or very rarely was I physically abused. It was all for me. It was all, anger related and it was very uh toxic he wouldn't talk to me for days if i asked for a simple a request so i started exploring some websites and i, I came across one called loversrespect.org and although it was meant for for younger people it's uh, really it, it, it the website included a quiz you could take 
It was about 20 questions to determine whether or not you were in an unhealthy relationship. And when I was going through my my change and thinking about filing for divorce, I took the quiz and I scored like so high. I I took it again and threw some questions. And again, I, I scored so high that there was no question that I was in a, an unhealthy relationship. So I, I was searching. I wanted to make sure, I wanted to validate in my mind mm. that this was not right. And so loversrespect.org is a, is a great website for folks to use, no matter what your age. And there's also another, uh, I'll give you a national uh, website. It's called the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And their website is hotline.org, H-O-T-L-I-N-E.org. Their number is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. And they have uh, advocates there that are uh, 24-7 that that can man that hotline. The website has a quick, both websites have quick escapes. So, so if, if your partner is monitoring your, your website, you can get out of it very quickly. You'll want to know how to erase your browser history in case they're checking up. Uh, and so those are a couple of resources. And if, when you connect nationally, they can connect you to your local crisis center, your local shelter. And every state has one they're required to. Linda, thank you. Thank you so much. If you would like to get a hold of Linda's book, it's called Live Free and Hike, Finding Grace on 48 Summits. You can find it on Amazon and all the places. And to get the contacts that Linda just shared or other details about our episode, of course, you can just get it in the show notes. Um, Linda, thank you so much for everything today. Uh, as you mentioned in your pre-notes, fear doesn't mean you can't. It just means you haven't. So thank you so much for sharing your very, very important story and all of the progress and joy that you've brought into your life. We wish you all the best. Well, thank you for having me, Susie. Okay, that's it for this episode. So powerful, right? There's so much here to process. I just love how Linda started to believe in herself and in her ability to finally focus on and connect with what she actually wanted. Linda focused on her dream and her goal, and that kept her going one small action and one step at a time. She loved the process part of her dream too, not just the outcome. And she enjoyed moving her dream forward immensely. She loved the whole process with a ton of joy. She loved it. So tracking her progress along the way, mounting her progress on the wall and using it as a vision board She did all this stuff and it all helped her. Vision boards can really, really be useful with this kind of a goal, with so many goals. So Linda's courageous story really shows that progress isn't always linear. Setbacks are a part of life. She knows firsthand that it's never too late to start over, but it is important to keep going literally, as she says and as she does, one step at a time. As you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. I can help you create the success you're looking for. I know I can. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together 
so you feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free next chapter. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. Want to grab a breakthrough coaching call? Head over to my website at www.susierosenstein.com and click the Coaching and Workshops tab and you'll see the booking link there. What about talking more about the podcast? Well, if you want to talk more about it, join the Women in the Middle Podcast Club by heading over to susierosenstein.com and click on the Podcast Club button. And finally, for show notes and links, head over to susierosenstein.com and click the Podcast tab and look for Episode 325. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. 